0: second kings chapter seven to all of our guests here today welcome mentioned to the adult class this morning sister mitchell welcome wants to be a part of grace church and uh we're real excited love sister may mitchell i went back there and spoke to her those of you that were in the sunday school class welcomed her to grace church and she said by the way i do have some fresh shrimp I said uh you know, that's an inside thing right there but I said, just call me when they're ready. We can hang out again now that you're at Grace Church. So I look forward to that. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. This means that these things are going to be a bargain. There's going to be plenty. It's going to be amazing what's going to happen here tomorrow, he said. Then the Lord, a city official, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be. And he, Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. Meanwhile, there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they Killed us, we shall die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had had made the host of the Syrians to hear a great noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, they fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and Carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and, and went and hid it. And they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And if we hold our peace, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come unto us. Now, therefore, come and that we may go and tell the king's household. I want to preach to you today. I want to title this in the form of a question. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Clap your hands to the Lord in appreciation of Him. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to ask the question today, and uh, you folks that have been to N-A-Y-C, I need your help today. I want to begin with another question. Is anybody here today satisfied with your life? Could it be just a little bit better in some areas? Come on, somebody say amen. Need some transparency here today. Complacency is the enemy of the soul. Spiritual satisfaction can lead us to a place of spiritual poverty. Our own spiritual complacency keeps us from striving toward the great places of the kingdom of God. Spiritual satisfaction leads to a spiritual paralysis and our talents and giftings wither and become useless. Spiritual Satisfaction is a vice that must be fought against every single day of our lives. Abraham Lincoln said, failure is not a crime, but low aim is. Someone said, indifference or complacency never wrote great works, never thought out striking inventions, nor nor reared The solemn architecture that awes the soul, nor breathed sublime music, nor painted glorious pictures, nor undertook heroic giving, all of these things were born of great zeal, which were done with much heart. There has to be a refusal on the inside of you not to allow life to stuff you into a place of complacent and apathetic existence. But there there are things that create a sense of spiritual complacency for us. Number one is we think the things facing us is insurmountable. There's no point in even trying. The problem I'm about to face, the path I'm about to walk down, I can't do it. I can't go through that. I can't experience that. There's also the idea that causes a a sense of spiritual complacency. is overwhelming losses. I've lost too much. I worked too hard and lost it all. I gave it all I had and walked away with nothing. The third thing that can cause spiritual complacency is entrapment in the past. I've done this stuff in the past. I've committed sin in the past. I've failed in the past. I've worked through all of these things in the past. So what's the point in even hoping for a better future? The fourth thing that causes spiritual complacency is a fear of the future. I just don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm a nervous wreck about tomorrow. I can't face tomorrow. Tomorrow for me won't be any different than yesterday was. Contentment with earthly goods is the mark of a saint. Contentment with earthly goods is the mark of a saint. Contentment with our spiritual state is a mark of inward blindness. We can never reach a place of spiritual contentment or complacency. I believe and proclaim that a child of God is either moving forward or backwards. There's no neutral. There's no standstill. When Moses told the people of God to stand still, God corrected that and said, tell them to go forward. And I believe that's what he's telling us today. There is before us an open door. All you NAYC people, I need some help here now y'all going to understand me in a minute, y'all going to say, but there's not very many of us, hang on with me for a moment. We need to understand that there has to be a daily discipline of spirituality to battle complacency. So Brendan, the next time you go through a tough time and you maybe even fail or life doesn't bring to you what you think you should, that doesn't mean quit praying back there. You keep doing that. It's a daily Discipline! Paul said as powerful as he was in Philippians 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before me, I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He went on to say, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body and I bring it unto un- subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others that I myself should be a cast away spiritual growth never comes without some form of sacrifice or suffering the greatest men of God have always had something inside of them that was hungry for more of a work of the Holy Ghost the psalmist said my soul thirst for God for the living God when shall I come and appear before God does anybody feel a little bit like that right now I'm thirsty for God. He said, O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power, to see thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, I'm hungry for God. The cries. From the Psalms to our parents and, and Bible quizzers in this upcoming season, I understand they will be tackling the book of Psalms. The whole, the, their whole quizzing format will be strictly from that one book in the Bible. So the cries of the Psalms are nothing more than the echoes of our life. Speaking of Bible quizzing, where's Annabelle? Is she here today? Okay, somebody needs to say something where are you son, stand up, still can't see you, but anyway, she walked up Friday night at the youth rally and said, listen to this, Pastor Murphy, and she rattled off four verses from the new curriculum coming out this year for Bible quizzers, she wants to be a part of the Bible quiz team, and you can do it, you can do it, proud, yes indeed, and uh, couldn't understand a lot of it, she went so fast. I just can't hear as fast as some of these people talk around here. Here's don't work that fast. But we're proud of her. That's amazing. The cries from the Psalms are nothing more than the echoes of our lives. They are true to life because they are drawn from the stuff that life is made of, such as hope and fear, such as love and hate, such as jubilation and then frustration, faith, and then anxiety, joy, and yet despair. We find the writers of the Psalms not only experiencing the very emotions of life but also in different places of life. Anybody relate to this? One moment we stand on the bedrock of hope and determine, I'm going to serve God the rest of my days. And the next we're wallowing in the quicksand of horror. One minute we're shouting and the next we're shaking. One minute faith thrills us. The next fear threatens us. One minute we're full of confidence and the next we're at the point of collapse. All of our struggles and all of our victories should have one common purpose and that is to create one the inside of us an insatiable hunger for the presence of God in our life because nothing can take you down the path of life like God can I know what I'm talking about here today And the greatest men in the Bible were those who had such a longing for God that it consumed them. I loved what Brother Aaron Holloway said in the Youth Rally Friday night. At the very end, after altar service, he said, All of our young people are like light bulbs. And you ought to go home and get lit up at home and come to church lit up. Don't come to church, burn out, and then get lit up at church. Get lit up at home. This is what the presence of God is challenging all of us to do. It's to get yourself plugged into the Holy Ghost and live there. Stay there. Dwell there. Praise God. I'm trying to preach here a little bit today. Great men of God had a longing for God that had consumed them. consumed them it propelled them onward and upward to heights that the average eyes could never see. What the average did see through lethargic spiritual eyes, they never had any hope of reaching such a place in God. I never want to be in that category of just marking time with my life and my relationship with God. So within the text of Second Kings 7 that we read earlier, here are some important principles for us to consider in overcoming Complacency. Let me give you the setting again. The area of the text tells us a morbid story. (laughs) These four men are saying if we do this, we die, if we do that, we die. If we do that, we'll die. No, no matter what we do, we're gonna die. So what have we got to lose? My greatest ambition in ministry is to present a thought that everybody gets it at the same time and goes absolutely ballistic. And that was just one of them moments. I thought that was pretty amazing. There's people here today who are dying financially, domestically, parents, kids, and you're content to do it. I'm sorry, did I just drag a little rain cloud in here from somewhere, a little thunderstorm, and the lights just went out on somebody? And we're willing to justify any and every excuse we possibly can. Jesus invited people to a marriage supper where they roll out the stuff, man, anything you can imagine, and it's free. And some dude says, I got. Go, I just bought some property, and I need to go check on it. Where's your property going? What's it going to do? I just married a wife. I need to go see her. See about what? Your marriage? If you want to see about your marriage, there's not a better place to do it. So I'm going to proceed in faith (laughs) that this will help somebody here today. But it tells a morbid story. So there come a time in Israel's history when Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, surrounded Samaria and was intent on conquering it and armies back in bible days they realize it's better sometimes not to charge a city because they have the big tall walls and all that and try to destroy it from the inside just camp around it and cut off their supply from the outside and you'll starve them to death on the inside and that's what he was doing and it was working they were literally starving to death the city of samaria had been overtaken by an enemy army and by famine they couldn't get out if they tried to get out, they'd die. If they stayed in, they was going to die. The people who literally had, some of them had become cannibals. They were eating their dead friends and family. Huh, mama tastes pretty good. I don't mean to be crude. But whether we like it or not, that's the way it was. You like a chicken leg? Try your best friend's leg. He just died. <coughs> that's the way it was. Their fear exacerbated the whole situation. So as Ben-Hadad's army threatened from the outside, they were dying by the droves on the inside of the great city of Samaria. Ben-Hadad had cut off all communication and supply lines from the outside. But while all of this was going on inside the city, outside of the city, ostracized by the city, left to die by the city, were four lepers. No doubt these men had talked over the situation among themselves. And obviously, it appeared pretty bleak for them as well. Because if they went in the city, they'd die. If they stayed outside, they were going to die. And if they went to the enemy, they were going to die. Y'all get the point? It was certain death for them. No matter what they did, it was certain death. So they finally decided, we know how the Jews feel about us. We know how the law of Moses feels about us, about being lepers. So let's go to the enemy to the Syrian army, and see what they say. If they let us live, we live. If they kill us, we die. So we're not just going to sit here and die. So they realize, what do we have to lose? So what those four lepers did at that point brings us to three important principles that I want to share with you for the next hour. Why do y'all think I'm kidding, even though I am? <laughs> Number one, no matter what's going on in your life, you make this applicable where it needs to be applied. No matter what you want in your life to be better, a job, finances, your marriage, your kids, whatever it is, how hungry are you for that to happen? How hungry are you? Okay. In the leper's case, It's not how sick they were that was motivating them or they had never done nothing. It was their hunger that was motivating them. So you can be defeated by your situation or you can be motivated by it. It just depends on how you look at it. See, that is profound to me. That's for everybody to jump up and just go ballistic and tear the walls down or something. And nobody's doing nothing. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just sit there and die. I'm desperate here this morning for somebody. It's not how bad your life is. It's how bad you want your life to change. Those lepers had been thrown out of the city for a reason. The extremities of their bodies were literally rotting off because of leprosy. Leprosy in those times was looked upon with great disdain. They were failures. They were outcasts. They were mistakes. They probably should have never been born in our American culture. They should have been aborted. But I want to say to you that sometimes failure and frustration are nothing more than the Ushers that God uses to bring people to their greatest destiny because of their own misfortune. God was about to bless an entire city, an entire region from a certain death and destruction and annihilation because somebody was willing to use their perceived failure and their apparent misfortune to bring about a move of God like that place. go, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. There's people here today that have done it. You've been there. Your marriage has been at a dead end. Your spirituality was dying. You were backslidden. There's people here today that were bitter and hurt by other people and other churches and other preachers, and you listed and put whatever you want. They've been hurt by their kids, but they used their misfortune. They didn't Pout over what happened to them, but they got hungry for a change and they said, With the help of God, with the help of God, I'm not going to sit here and die. Oh, let God use your misfortune to usher in a miracle. In fact, The man who has the emptiest stomach is more likely to find a place to eat. Somebody said one time, never eat what a skinny cook offers. I'm going to go ahead and say it. That's why this church they cook some of the best food you've ever put in your mouth, man. Because they've eaten it and just got plum fat off of it. You got this little old weak, anemic dude fixing me a steak. I'm not sure I want it. He ain't eating it, obviously. Furthermore, furthermore, the man who feels he has sinned the most is the most likely to be the one who seeks after God with the most focus. Jesus said, I'm not come for the whole. I've come to the sick, to the weak, to those who suffered misfortune. I've got to hurry. i got a ways to go here. It might be an hour. I don't know. Those lepers could have continued to live just like they've always lived hand to mouth just trying to make ends meet but something called hunger began to stimulate them to start dreaming a little they began to imagine what God might be able to do if they would go into the army of the Syrians these men did not need to take some poison to commit suicide they did not need to find some cliff to jump off of they were already far spent by their own starvation so their situation and their hunger called for them to do something. And despite their difficulties, they found something to work with. The, the wise men said in Proverbs, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I want everybody here today to know that God has a plan for your life. Yes, He does. These lepers brought to life some purpose to their despicable existence and made all the difference in the world. Their hunger pressed them to find out what God had waiting on them. This is what the devil does not want you to know, that this gnawing and driving discontentment in your life is going to open up a path to you that will cause a great exaltation of life. This is why the devil hates for churches to get hungry for a revival and for a harvest. This is why hates for a preacher to start dreaming. This is why the devil hates for saints. Sometimes a small minority to start feeling like there's something beyond where they're living now. He hates it when you're inspired by your hunger. God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. So when you look at the spiritual principle that is magnified here, It will make you want to do just that. These lepers found horses and mules saddled and ready for them. These lepers found supper ready on the table. These lepers found spoils of war waiting to be gathered up. These lepers found silver and gold for the taking. What caused it? What caused this great discovery? Hunger and a refusal to sit there and die. Come on, somebody. All right, you NAYC people. How many does it take to accomplish a victory like this? All of you NAYC people, stand up again. Y'all ain't living what happened to y'all up there down. How many does it take to turn a church on its ear? How many does it take to cause a revival to break forth? How many does it take to see God do something sovereign? How many does it take? We think, thank you, you may be seated. We think that we have to have an army. There needs to be 300 of us. There needs to be 1,000 of us. There needs to be a whole group from the whole entire area. Don't be deceived here today. If you could find it in history somewhere and prove it, I doubt if these were the only lepers outside the gate. I have a feeling there was more than four. It's not how many lepers they are in AYC people. It's how united they were. That's what makes the difference. If you guys will get on board, there's small groups waiting to happen here. There's evangelism sitting right here waiting on y'all. There's a move of God waiting on y'all. And you know what? Pastor, ain't going to pull all of the trigger. I'm going to pull as much of it as I can. But there was a time I was sitting in a service on Sunday night and wanted to teach a backslidden man and his girlfriend who had never had the Holy Ghost a Bible study. I was discouraged from doing it. You'll never be able to handle it. But, 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 but God nudged me to do it. Yeah, well, you're not experienced enough. This man will wear you out. He's... I told him the Bible study. He did wear me out the first night. But the second time I went back, I said, Now, the last time we were here, you did all the talking. Tonight, you be quiet and let me talk. I said that in a good Christian way, manifested with the fruit of the Spirit. And he did. And his girlfriend prayed through the Holy Ghost and ended up working at the church school and teaching a Sunday school class and whatnot. Had I been, had I listened to the man that said, you'll never do it and he'll eat your lunch and he'll clean your clock and and all that. I'd have sat there with an insatiable hunger and desire. And I never did talk to my pastor about it. I wasn't in rebellion, I can promise you that. But don't wait for the pastor. If God's moving on you to do something evangelism-wise with your friends and you want to start a small group, start one! Start one! Start one! How else can I say it? Start one! I don't know how else to say it. If you have a hunger to do something from God... For God's sake, get out and do it. Do it. You don't need the whole church. You don't need the ministry team. You don't need this one and that one. These four men got together and agreed. They weren't priests. They weren't elders. The high priest wasn't among them. They were four outcasts that nobody wanted to fool with. But they unified around a cause. There were only four of them, but those four decided that if they could start being inspired by their hunger, that together they could shake their world. It was just a very small minority of the citizens of Samaria, but it was enough to break open a revival in their place. They decided that they were not going to sit in their misery and apathy any longer. So together we will live or die. Together we will either find food or die trying. Together we will depend on God. Together we'll make the journey. Together we'll seek out the serious. Together we're going to be inspired by what we desire. And if it's not all of us, fine. Jesus said if two or three agree, Alright, I've opened the door for you guys. Now don't blame me if your fire goes out. If your light bulb quit shining, don't blame it on me. I've invited you. Brendan, I want to tell our story. This between me and you so bad right now, I don't know what to do. But I'm not going to do it. But there's something going on with this dude right here. And I'm anxious to see what God is going to do through him the next few weeks and months. It's going to be amazing. Quit crying about what you do not have and start focusing in on what you've been blessed with. Together we will give ourselves to prayer. Together we'll give ourselves to impact. Together we'll give ourselves to caring. Together we'll give ourselves to the working for the kingdom. Together we will give ourselves to filling up our Sunday school rooms. Together we'll give ourselves to filling up our Sunday school rooms. Together we'll give ourselves to... That's the next step. That's the next step. Y'all been praying and fasting and you're all fired up. The next step is what? Go after the people out there. I'm pumped about Brennan and Marley, at least the two that I know, they had guests with them here Friday night at the youth rally. Bring them. I'm, I'm, I'm just finding out they've been bringing folks to the Wednesday night youth service and their friends are liking it. Imagine that. We have such a going on in our head. But together we'll give ourselves to praying for people who are on the fringe area. Number three, how powerful is this desire for hunger? How powerful is it? It's not how preposterous the method may be, but how powerful the God is that's behind it. Anybody with a half a brain would have known that you guys are wasting your time. They could have gone to any theologian, any psychiatrist, any psychologist, any therapist, any coach, any mentor, any life, whatever, people. And Anybody with a brain would have told them, people, you're wasting your time going to the Syrian army. That's the last way. They, they got weapons there, man, and they're loaded. And they will shoot at you. Number one, because you're a Samaritan. Number two is because you got leprosy. You're better off at survival is right where you're at. That's what any common sense will tell you. But God don't live in the arena of common sense. And yes, their method is quite preposterous. But the God behind them is amazing. These lepers were looking for deliverance from the famine when God starts working on your behalf, it's not how difficult the dilemma is, but very quickly it becomes how powerful God is. That's what changes everything. What, so they were only looking for a little food. They were only looking for a little bit. But instead they walked into, oh, my goodness, anything you could imagine was theirs for the taking. I liked how they worked. They were willing to share this with everybody else but not until I get what I need. And when you get what you need, then you can take it to anybody you want and you're going to be okay. I got I I I just I can't stop. Uh, their meth method may have been a little wild, but their God was more powerful than their method. So this is why it always turns out. This is why it always turns out with God. You get a whole lot more than you anticipated. Sister Mitchell, you were with us. You and Brother Johnny was with us in our early days in Baker. Y'all were one of the first families that came along with a bunches. Y'all saw what we were up against. Look at it now. Look where we are now, and we're not done yet. Anybody on board? You got to dream a little. Got to have a little vision. My hunger got a hold of me. Yes, it did. And I didn't quit. And I wasn't discouraged by the first failure. And I didn't quit when the first person left. Okay. But God always gives you more than you anticipated. It's just like Bartimaeus who received his sight. God went beyond his expectation. Practically every miracle you find in the Bible comes with that promise. People seeking healing also got mercy. People seeking sight also got salvation. People seeking health also received power. This is how God works in the lives of men. Unanticipated blessing always comes through God's preposterous methods. Again, I want to see say, say that God used the misfortune of these men to bring about a revival not just for them, How ridiculous is it to just touch the hem of his garment and to go wash the mud out of your eyes and put water in vessels that are meant for wine and, and reach into go catch a fish and reach in his mouth and find. How stupid is that? But God has always worked in the arena of the preposterous. The Bible is full of it. He don't work with your expectation and your definitions and your prerequisites. you got to step out. So, in conclusion today, God is in the blessing business. Yes, He is. He's interested in blessing your spiritual endeavors, your physical endeavors, your mental endeavors, your educational endeavors, your financial endeavors, your social endeavors. In short, He's interested in your life to the point that He knows how many hairs you have on your head. The platform of God's blessing is is the classroom of your life. That's the platform he uses, is your life. He's interested in all the details of your life, experiences, whether it's good or bad, beautiful or ugly, appealing or appalling, horrific or or heroic, attractive or unattractive, precious or atrocious. God is totally interested in your life. In fact, God is interested in your dreams. One of the most fascinating and amazing things about dreams is that your dreams does not have to match your destiny. In actuality, your dreams are desires that can become your realities. Nowhere in the scripture where this is more evident than in the life of Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament was filled with dreams. However, his brothers were dream killers. You know the story. Let me share with you three quick things about that. You have the dreams, the dreamer, and the dream killers. These three powerful points can possibly produce prosperity, productivity, personal privilege in your life if you properly understood and practically implemented these things. Number one, there's the dream. T.E. Lawrence said that all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind wake in the day to find that it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with their eyes wide open to make it possible. I don't know what else to say to you folks, man. Are you going to sit there and die, or are you going to get up and, and make something happen in your life? Again, I want to say I live this every day. You North American Youth Congress people, you're all fired up and want to do something from God. Is You're not going to maintain that fire just sitting. <laughs> So then there comes the dreamer. That's the people, that's the Joseph was a man that allowed his dreams to take him from hate, from gossip, from adversity, from perplexity, from the pit, from the prison to the pinnacle of power, the palace. The dream killers were those that would kill your dreams if you allow them. Do not allow anybody to make you become addicted to living life without a dream. There were not, they were not there when God gave them to you. You do not need these people to co-sign your dreams. You do not need them to confirm or affirm your dreams. You do not need them to authenticate, corroborate, substantiate, validate your dreams. Your dreams is yours to fulfill. Dream killers are often disguised as family, friends, and relatives. They do not believe in your dreams because they do not believe in you. Do not share your dreams with people that do not like you, with people that hate, and with people that are envious of you. The first moment they get to sabotage and assassinate your dreams, they will. My own mother, God love her. I love her to death. But she asked me when we came to to the church in Baker, why are you going there? There's two amazing churches there already. Thanks, Mom, for the encouragement. Appreciate it. We came anyway, and the rest is history. In fact, the worst kind of dream killers are those that will kiss your lips and stab you in the back. They will ride in your car. They'll eat your food. They'll take your money, and they will smile in your face and tell you your sweet lies. But along but along, they have hidden a hidden agenda and will, are ready to blow you away. The first chance they get. I had to learn quick when we came here 26 years ago who to talk to and who not to talk to. I had to learn quick. Sister Mitchell, you're being here this morning. I'm grieving for Brother Johnny. God is. other plans for him but them along with claudine and david bunch these were my vision people these were people i could go to and pour my heart out and say let's do this and let's do that you know how johnny and may mitchell helped me fulfill my vision stand with me today is that every time we got a new family at church they invite them over to their house and fry fish and shrimp and all that that was their way of letting God use them and it was amazing and our church grew and we filled that building up several times and now we're here you let God use what's available in your life and when you do he blows it up to unbelievable proportions I don't know that they ever fathomed the Mitchells ever fathomed that they were investing in the lives of people that are still serving God today and not just at the church at Baker and other churches they've been to the one in Bayou Rouge, Palmetto, somewhere around there Impacted lives man why? why? because they determined I'm not going to sit here and die As a matter of fact, they came to the Baker Church in those days to do just that. We're not going to sit where we were and die. We're going to go to where we can be productive, where we can see a move of God. Now, we had a move of God here earlier, but now we're having another one. One of different scope and proportion. The Spirit of the Lord is still moving. Yes, He is. I realize that you're not dancing and shouting and talking in tongues, but God is talking to somebody here today, and He's asking you a question on what to do with your faith and your future. What have you got to lose investing in me? Doing it my way for a change, what have you got to lose? Trying it my way, what have you got to lose? There's young people here today. You're a ship without a sail. There's no orientation in your life. There's You don't know what you're going to do. You're thinking about college maybe, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to be. Well, if you listen to the people around you, you'll do what they want you to do. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not. But the best thing to do is put your life in the middle of God's will and say, I'll do what God wants me to do. Because Jesus promised, if you seek first the kingdom, all this other stuff that you like in life will be added to you. That's what he said. So what do you have to lose today? What do you have to lose? But Pastor, I just have these things. I just have these things and I just yeah, I just like doing stuff and I like doing this stuff. And we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school, just things I like to do and you know, I, I know it's not right and and, and some of it I can't help because, don't forget, my mama was an idiot my daddy was an idiot. And I, I'm an idiot, too, because of it. And I just can't help you. And I'll probably be a loser. And I know when I get married, I'm going to probably divorce once or twice. That's what everybody does. So what I'm going to do is shack up with somebody for a year and see if we're compatible or not. And then we'll get married. This is what culture says. But God said if you do it my way, he can save you from all that junk. He can spare you of all that stuff. So what have you got to lose? God can spare some people here today have a lot of misery in the future and a lot of heartache in the future. He can spare you some stuff. may not spare you of everything, but He'll spare you some stuff, the sinful stuff. So what have you got to lose? What do you think? Can we make a deal here today? Can we make a deal here today? No compromises, just a deal. And if you'll give God a shot, you've done it your way. You've done it your way. And it all went south on you. Be honest. There's people here today that's did life your way. All that church baloney is, I ain't doing all that stuff, and you're a mess. So why don't you try his way? You can't stand yourself anyway most of the time. So what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Brother Murphy, I don't know about that repentance stuff. And going up here and saying, God, I'm sorry, and I might cry. So, sit there and die then, I guess. Or, give God a shot. See what He can do. I love trying to sell Jesus to people, figuratively speaking. because He's never disappointed me. God always does what He says He'll do. So, while they play and sing softly as our custom is, all of our guests, everybody, we want you to come up here and what have you got to lose? Come spend a few minutes. Just talk to the Lord. Nobody's going to bug you. Uh, we're not going to embarrass you, put you on the spot. We truly don't in this setting. You come up here on your own. It's you and God, and you come talk to Him, and you come talk to Him a little while, and see what happens. Come on, you'll go to a bar. There's people here today. They'll go to a bar. You'll go to a party. You're not afraid of that. Don't be afraid of Jesus either. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. Why don't you walk up here and talk to Jesus a little while and see what happens. Don't be afraid of it. Grow some courage. And say, I'm not going to sit here and live another day like I've been living. But I'm going to bring God into my life and see what He can do. And see what kind of change God can make in my life. We have a former drug dealer here this morning. We have a person here this morning that used to manufacture drugs, but God turned his life around. What have you got to lose? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Could you lift your hands all across the building? Could you lift your face to heaven this morning? Come on, Grace Church. I need some help right now. I need some help right now. What have you got to lose? Give us a few more minutes in hope that somebody will find a new relationship with God like they've never found before. Come on, somebody. Talk to the Lord right now. Somebody talk to Jesus right now. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord!